Good morning, everybody. This is Lorraine, and I'm broadcasting from the road, but hanging out at Roundpeg, we've got Allison. Good morning, Allison. Good everybody. Uh, Peter is running the Twitter board, so be sure if you've got comments, uh, use the hashtag MTFW and say hello to Peter. Hi, Peter. Hey. And sitting at Roundpeg with Allison is the one, the only, at Firebelly himself, Mr. Duncan Ami. Duncan, good morning. Good morning, Lorraine. Hey, Duncan, as we're getting started, um, if there's anybody on the podcast who doesn't know who you are, why don't you tell them a little bit about you, tell them a little bit about Firebelly and what you do. All right, sounds good. So um, I um, grew up in India and uh, came to America to be a cowboy. So the cowboy mythology is very much a part of my uh, of my immigrant DNA. And um, I, I've, I've Spent time in Montana, but I ended up in Indiana, and I, I love living in Indianapolis with my wife Angela and my son Enzo. So uh, yeah, that's my story. I started Firebelly 11 years ago, and social media marketing is the latest iteration. And we've been focused on social media marketing for the last three years, but it somehow seems the perfect place for us because we like talking and listening. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, though I've never seen you in a cowboy hat. Well, we got to change that for sure. <laughs> Awesome. Duncan, um, one of the reasons that we wanted to to talk today is, you know, for me, you are such um, an integral part of the Indianapolis social media community. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about kind of that, um, what you see going on in the community, what's interesting, where we come. Just chat for a little bit. Allison will interrupt you with a question when she's ready. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I came from India to Indianapolis because I, I couldn't really, I don't spell very well, and so adding the polis on was all I can handle. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to hear you say that I'm an integral part of the scene here. Um, I guess I'm that guy that decided that early on in his life that uh, I, I do things rather than complaining about the lack of things. So that's um, kind of my motivation. And if I can just say hi to my parents uh, in India who are listening, hi, Mom and Dad. And they never listen to anything I do, so uh, I think I think this is about you, Lorraine, and, and, and what you can bring to the table. So your show has officially gone international. I'm so excited. Hi, Mom and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I answered okay. your question, but um, the, the Indianapolis social scene, I think, is, is the, the difference between the Indianapolis scene and the scene in some other places, even on the coasts, is that I think that as Midwesterners, we have a, a strain of friendliness uh, that is part of our makeup that is natural and organic to us, unlike the coast where they have to work uh, harder at being social. They so think that the fact that, you know, tweet-ups and meet-ups have been happening here for a long time and we've had online communities that have engendered a sense of community um, for us here through conversations. Um, and then a few years ago we started doing the social media club and meeting for uh, drinks. And, um, and there are many other organizations as well so I think that you know there really is a community here, um, a, a strong sense of community powered by people, not by media. And when we do have social media is so international, why is it so important that we still have those strong local ties? Why do you think? Well, I think is people people need to belong and people people need to feel connected. And it's easy to be connected online, but the warmth of 
of human connection that you get from being in the room with someone, which is why I wanted to come in. You know, you don't get um, via the media. So I think that, you know, it's important that in Indianapolis we don't forget to keep the social uh, and social media by connecting with people. And, and I think it's a combination of people and friends and then also interests. So uh, it's not just the social graph, but it's the interest graph as well. Absolutely. I, I think... I think you've really nailed it that it, it is that sort of integration of on and offline that I think really makes Indianapolis um, uh, work. Um, I, I have a confession for those of you, you know, that are used to Roundpeg being a social media company. Um, you might be surprised to know that a few years ago I sat in a coffee shop with Duncan and told him that I wasn't going to do social. Do you remember that conversation? Uh, I mean, it's it's hard for you to take social out of Lorraine um, <laughs> because, I mean, Lorraine, social is just, it's part of who you are. So I, I never believed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't believe it because I, you know, there was a point where um, a few years ago I think the uh, the landscape was, was very crowded and perhaps not um, – and not as well defined, and I really think that the last couple of years, um, there are lots of different organizations doing social, but I think there are a lot of people that are specializing in different pieces of, of social. Let's go back to Firebelly. Where, what's your real niche? What's your core um, within that whole realm of social? I mean, so, you know, I think by nature of where social has gone, you know, we are focused on, uh, to a large extent at the moment on Facebook. And I think that's because of the size of the opportunity and with companies, a lot of progressive companies seeing the opportunity. Um, our approach with social is to make sure that we work towards a specific business objective and always keep the customer in the forefront. So we've, we've, been, we've done other things. And, I mean, we're really like the, the dirty work people. So, you know, we're not doing a whole lot of sexy strategy work by design. Um, although when, when there's an opportunity, we do it, but we're really focused on making the, the, the tactical side happen. So we're the people that are in the trenches, you know, making conversations happen, you know, uh, making sure that the client is getting real results, and, you know, we're working on call to actions and working on, on, on things that are measurable. So, um, yeah, I, I guess you could say, you know, we're, the, we're the, the dirty work people that are, are very mobile. So when people come to us and our clients range from, from progressive um, progressive small companies to progressive large companies, and really the, the common denominator is a is a director or a VP of marketing that wants results and and wants a wants an organization that works like a go kart, which is I mean, they move very quickly and and they can turn around very fast. At the same time, a go kart can't you know carry 20 people, so it's we're we are meant for a certain type of work, um, and and that's been our niche. I mean, do, we're doing more things, you know. Uh, with Pinterest, but I mean, at the end of the day, the platform doesn't matter. It's you know, it's about uh, planning and knowing your audience, you know, and looking at at, um, at audience segments and understanding whether or not a platform will meet that audience uh, that audience segment's needs. Um, publishing uh, certain things, engaging with uh, leaders and advocates, which we do really well, um, and then figuring out like what kinds of results we produce and if the results are in line with what the client's looking for. I don't know if that's a awesome. specific enough answer. 
I think no, it is. And right. I think you said about audience is so critical. And one of the parts of social media that's so often overlooked is the importance of really knowing who you're talking to. And I think that ties back into the importance of getting out of our offices, getting out from behind the computer screens and going out and talking to real people. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that I'm 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 a big admirer of people that try new things, but as far as I'm concerned, the action is working closely with people. And, I mean, sure, you can have employees in Dubai, and we have an employee in Minneapolis, but at the same time, my emphasis is on working, you know, in close proximity with people. You know, um, I think results are better when people work closely together at least, you know, 50% of the time. So I think that extends into doing business. You know, we try to take as many meetings as we can in, in person or at least over Skype so we can see the people and uh, in collaboration and and uh, and just meeting people that are in the same business and in the same community. I have really enjoyed, you know, I, on that point, um, Duncan, I've really enjoyed some of the um, the social media events through the Social Media Club because they aren't just about business. And um, I, I think Allison will agree my favorite part is after the program, after the presentation, when we go next door to yet. I mean, first off, I love the food, but secondly, it's the more informal, longer conversations. And um, I think that's really an important part of the process. And I, I, I think that my objective has always been, been to make these gatherings social by design. I mean, they're meant to get people stimulated and then allow them to connect with each other and to not control the connection process. So, you know, that's the particular niche of, of what I've tried to do in Indianapolis. And um, I think that there are other organizations that do a fantastic job with education. I think that um, the indie social media uh, people do an amazing job of bringing people in that want to learn. They put them in a nonprofit environment, which is you know, truly wonderful, and they give them a chance to learn. But the emphasis is on learning. The indie social media happy hour uh, I think that what um, that organization has done a great job is getting people together after work for drinks and just to let them socialize. And all the meetups and tweetups and so on that we've gone to, and then you've got educational organizations, organizations focused on these sort of um, uh, semi-annual or annual gatherings like Blog Indiana and um, you know uh, the MBO people and so on and so forth. I think those are all wonderful organizations, but the emphasis is on education. Or it's mm-hmm. on on learning with with the social media club or the socializer organization that we've put together jointly, um, you and I and, and some other and so many other people um, has been focused on social. It's been it's yeah you need some stimulate stimulating content, but the focus is again like what do we think about it and how do we react to it together? It's the difference between watching a uh, a movie at home and then tweeting about it and watching a film together in a cinema and feeling the emotions as people react together and then walking out and having a drink and talking about it. So that's always been the emphasis. And I don't know that the, based on the last one we did, I don't know that that is a sustainable model, you know, where we spent several thousand dollars and we had, you know, every major player either there um, or, or funding or, you know, or participating. Um, but, you know, I think that the, the, my sense is that we'll go to something that, you know, a fewer times a year but on that scale so people can come out and they can see everyone they know at one place and they can have some food and drinks and, uh, and then they talk about it afterwards too. 
I, you know, I really like that, and, and um, you know, the event that you're talking about, if, if you know, if the folks missed it, was, you know, the sort of kickoff for or celebration of the publishing of uh, Eric Decker and Jason Falls' No Bullshit Social Media. And you're right. I mean, everybody was there, and probably the, one, the only thing that frustrated me that night was that I didn't have a chance to talk to everybody. Yeah, um, yeah I think you know, that was the common theme. I mean, there were a lot of people that were there that I, had, I didn't even see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it, 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 it's, it's trying to find that balance of, of, you know, having content that people can talk about, but then also recognizing I think the community has matured um, yes. to a point where, where we know each other and it's not that first introduction. It is really sort of that we're picking up a conversation that's been going on for, for four years. Well, I think the other part is that we, we truly have an ecosystem here in Indianapolis, and that, was, that has been one of my um, personal um, visions is to let people know that there is an ecosystem and ensure that there's participation from the anchor point. So, you know, I think of the anchor points, I think of, you know, the large corporate entities that are, you know, service providers for email and social media and mobile services like Exact Target comes to mind. You know, and then you've got the digital agencies, you know, and there's several of those. And then there's SEO firms, and the one that comes to mind is, you know, Slingshot and, and Deep Ripples. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the social agencies that are playing, in, you know, in, in different spaces like, you know, Radius and Firebelly and, and Roundpeg. And, and, and perhaps Firebelly and, and Roundpeg are unique in that sense is that we're really not just social agencies, but we're also boutiques. So we're, we're, mm-hmm. tiny, firm, we're tiny firms with, you know, very intense culture that people think they can replicate by hiring a few people, but we're seeing those those efforts fail. Well, that's a, a different subject. And then you've got you've got you know the organizations that have social media practitioners. Um, you've got freelancers that are pr- providing services, you know. And then you've got you know nationally known practitioners like Jason Falls and Jay Bear that are part of the soul of this community, even though both of them don't live in proper geographic Indianapolis. So I think that you know in many ways we have more. Uh, and I think we're rated number 11 in the in the country for search and social jobs, so which is in keeping with the size of markets that we are. But I would question the numbers, and my my uh, question is that there's more people working in new media, although I hate that term, but in in, in uh, you know in, search, in, in digital media than they've tracked. So I think that I, it goes beyond just us connecting and being happy with each other. There's people making money and making um, making livelihoods you know, in this space. Well, you've touched on an interesting point, and one that did come up at the No Bullshit event. Um, Kyle Lacey talked at some length about uh, how Indianapolis is overlooked as a tech town. Do you feel that that is the case? I mean, you said number 11. That sounds pretty good, considering the size that we are. I mean, I think that we're really probably like number 8 or number 9 or Mm -hmm. number 7. I know the number doesn't really matter, but I think that it's interesting because there's a tech component and there's a marketing component Mm -hmm. And that tech component has mature tech companies, and it has um, emerging tech companies of startups, which obviously y'all are very involved with that space. On the marketing side, I think that there are lots of companies here that are doing big work all over the country, but the media that reports, the traditional media, doesn't report about those companies. You know, the IBJ is focused on PR firms and ad agencies. Mm-hmm. Well, my contention is that's only a, now. Um, no more than 50% of that space. 
you know, even with those fat media budgets, I would say that there's as many, if not more, and my contention is there's more people working in digital media um, than in traditional media in Indianapolis. Mm. There's just no, I, you know, I, I don't think those numbers are being tracked. I, I, I think there's definitely, well, it, I, I don't ever think there were tons and tons of people in traditional media. I mean, I know when I left corporate and, and was trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do, um, this didn't seem like a very crowded space from a uh, traditional media side. Um, uh, but I, I think more and more there are lots of agencies that are springing up that just do digital. And I think a lot of the traditional agencies are making that transition. I think they have to because traditional media is um, falling by the wayside. Well, I'm not sure it's falling by the wayside, but it's certainly evolving into something new and something that has to be grafted on to what's going on with social and web. I mean, you can't look at an advertise, a print advertisement in a magazine or newspaper without seeing social share icons, without seeing find us on Shazam on TV commercials, any of that kind of thing. I always, I hate that trope of X is dead, you know, SEO yeah, is dead, sure. web is dead, print is dead. Nothing's dead. It's not, it's not like it's the phonograph. It's not completely obsolete. It's evolving and becoming something totally new. Yeah, although, you know, we have two photographs in our office. So I mean I think you're right. I think that, you know, I, I guess my, my concern with the with the traditional model is that there are progressive people in it which I applaud, but then there's also a lot of people that think they can embed one guru and create this, you know, mm -hmm. pot of people working around them. Well, you know, that culture in my in my opinion will not last. So either either there has to be an organic approach which is integrated which, you know, people like you have been saying all along, Lorraine, is that it's not a silo. You know, if you're not integrating yeah. your social into your overall approach, then you're going to fail. Or you'll yeah, get less I, results than you could get otherwise. Yeah, I, I, I think it, I mean, and I've always believed this, it, it, it comes, I think it always comes down to strategy and, and having a, you know, having a strategy and then also having that kind of bottom line, how does it tie back to my business? Um, it looks like we've got a caller, so hold on just a sec. Good morning. Good morning. Do you have a can question you hear me? for Duncan? I certainly can. Do you have a question for Duncan this morning? I do. Actually, I have a question for both of you. Lorraine, this is Hope Baugh. I write Indie Theater Habit blog, and I'm Indie Theater on Twitter, and you are one of the people, you're, you're my mentor slash role model for social media. That's so, nice of you to say. How are you this morning, Hope? I'm great, and I'm really intrigued by what both of you are saying. I I just happened to see on my Twitter feed that you were doing this. So I'm sitting in my car, got my iPhone plugged in, and and I, what I want to know is what if, um, how do you think public libraries fit into this whole mix of digitalization and um, people connecting with each other in new ways and and sharing stories and information in new ways. I know that's not the subject of your talk today, but do you have any thoughts on public libraries and how they are reinventing themselves and connected in social ways? You know, one of the first things that, that pops into my head, and Duncan, I certainly want you to chime in on this one, but um, two things. One, when I first started the business, one of the things I noticed was that all the libraries I was going to had these huge banks of computers. 
And so lots of people were coming to the library to connect online, um, and the conversations I was having with librarians were as much about the books as they were about the websites I needed to be going to. And I think um, that's huge. Um, the second thing is my interactions with the Indianapolis Ma uh, uh, Marion County Public Library are almost all online now. I access their databases. I download and borrow books and put them on my, um, uh, on my, uh, my iPad to read them. So I don't think libraries are going away. I do think that librarians need to get more tech savvy. I don't know. What do you think, Duncan? I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people trained in the in the classical library library sciences have you know made a transition to either managing um, data inside libraries or they've made the the search to enterprise search because or the the transition to enterprise search because the you know the 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 logic and the way um, search happens is rooted in many ways in the way. Um, you know the nomenclature and the taxonomy. I'm I, I'm using words that I don't fully understand. Uh, work within, and I think that the huge opportunity for libraries is to get people that love uh, conversation and love books and love the arts back into the library. So less about these these you know cold monolithic uh, structures and more about bringing people in uh, into a center of the community. You know we don't need Starbucks to be the center, the only center of our community. Uh, we need, you know, the library to, to play a role in that. And I think they do. I, I don't know why we're not more involved with that. I think that's Actually, great. I love, um, I love what you both said. And I think I, I work in a public library. That's my day job. I work up in Carmel. I, I, I think my boss would be okay with me saying that <laughs> publicly. <laughs> but our, we're busier than ever. You know, people come in to use the Internet. They come in to use the free Wi-Fi. And they come in to see their friends and to get information about whatever interest them not only from the library's resources but from other people. It's, a, it's that social, local thing that you guys are talking about. Awesome. And um, I, 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 uh, I need to transition here. Hope, thank you so much because I think that's a really good point and maybe we'll have a longer conversation about the role of libraries going forward. Um, but for those it was a pleasure, Lorraine. Our... Thank you for your time. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> um, but for those of you that are regular listeners, you know that as we're winding down the show, it is now time for our half-baked marketing idea. Um, and uh, I have with with me the chef of half-baked ideas. Good morning, Stephen. <laughs> Good morning. Okay. So, Stephen, today you've got three marketers to take on your half-baked idea. All right, good. Because this go is probably it. it's probably quarter baked. Um, and I think at the end of it, what we're going to come out with is like really good email marketing for what I'm going to talk about. So the half-baked marketing idea is I think that some men's clothing and apparel should have expiration dates on them. Okay. So why do I think that? So let's so step back, and I'm going to show you two examples that kind of support this. So when you go to get an oil change you get that little sticker that they put on your window that tells you when your next oil change is, right? And I, yeah. would, I would wager a guess that people who don't get that sticker probably don't get the oil change when they should. They go, like, way past when it should be done. Is that, you think that's a fair statement? Probably. I think that's a very fair probably. statement. Yeah, probably. 
Second example, when you go get a haircut, I go to kind of a nice salon in Irvington, and I, 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 I'm guessing that most of the, the ladies do too, but you, you, after you get your hair done, you set a new appointment right there. And, they, and at least in my case, they give me this card that I put on my refrigerator, and I know when my next appointment is. So using the oil change example, if I didn't get that card, I would probably not get the haircut every four weeks. And like I and I would I would wait and just wait until like the hair just is bothering me so much I need to go get a haircut. I think I was gonna say I think Leah would make the appointment for you. Aha! <laughs> now that's perfect that you said that. Now going back to men's clothing, so specifically think of men's dress shirts and men's dress shoes. I have some things in my closet that need to be thrown away and replaced. And that only happens when Leah gets so sick of seeing, like, these ratty dress shirts and these, like, dress shoes that, ha- that like, are cracked and they look, they look bad, she'll throw them out. So if these things came with an expiration date that said this shirt should be, should be replaced within one year or after, like, 12 washings, I think that as... I think this is like a a men's thing that like we need that trigger to go ahead and replace things or get an oil change or get a haircut. You know what I mean? That's right. Yeah, I know. Some people started that with their beer, so they have an expiration on beer. Yeah, exactly. So how can the men's retail establishment sort of emulate that experience of the Jiffy Lube or the haircut place? So maybe yeah. an embedded chip that starts uh, yeah. beeping in a very annoying way, and you have to rip it out of the collar uh, or, yeah. or, or the or the shoe, uh, the uh, the tongue of the shoe, I guess. Exactly. Self destruct. Self destruct. Yes. <laughs> okay. So maybe when I go to that should have a yeah, time expiration date. It's like, <laughs> didn't you know that mango was last season's color? You can't wear this anymore, so we're going to take it yeah. away from. But in all seriousness, you mentioned at the the show email marketing, and of course that's really the right way to do this. If you can get that email account at the point of sale, then in the 12 Mm -hmm. months or two years or whatever the lifespan of the garment is, you can say, hey, how's that shirt looking? Starting to be a little worn around the collar? Maybe it's time to come in and get a new one, and here's a 10% off coupon on that same style. Exactly. And the The reason why that's so perfect is, yeah, I have these dress shoes that I love, but they need to be thrown away, and I keep wearing them because I love them. And I don't replace them because I don't know where I bought them. You know what I mean? And I'm guessing a lot of men don't have, like, that brand loyalty. So if I got an email, if I had, like, a card in my refrigerator, like, oh, yeah, I bought those shoes at, you know, DSW or whatever, and here's the brand, I could just get the same shoes because I love them. You know what I mean? So this, this process sort of would, like, spur on brand loyalty that I think that men as opposed to women don't necessarily like have brand loyalty in like clothing retail. Maybe that's I, I a big mean, generalization. I think this I, would I, work I, really I, well I, with the with the boomerang segment that have boomerang back to live with their with their parents. And mm-hmm. uh, it will also cannibalize the sales of uh you know to, to the hipster demographic where, you know, people pay uh, to look like shit. <laughs> That's true. That's why I'm kind of gravitating towards the dress clothes. Yeah, I I am. I have to admit, I am wrestling a little bit with this idea um, because I love vintage clothes. 
And mm-hmm. as you know, you're you know the fact that okay, mango is probably not this year's color, but five years from now, you know, mango <laughs> could be back. And, you don't and have to so. You can just you can donate it to Goodwill or sell it to a consignment shop or shove it in the back of your closet until it comes back around. Yes, and and yeah. I, I I think that yeah. I think that, that, that there's the hook because on the other side of it, you know, um, you're right. Women do. Um, I get postcards from DFW. I get ooh catalogs mm-hmm. from Chico's, and oh my gosh, we are running out of time again. Um, <laughs> Guys, this, this, is, is this, is, this is good, and it's been a fabulous show. I want to take a minute and thank Duncan <laughs> for, for coming in to see me, even if I wasn't there to see you. Thank you. Uh, if people want to catch up with you, how do they find you? Um, I'm at Firebelly on Twitter, and um, that's really – or, fire, you know, Firebelly Social on uh, Facebook. Awesome. And Stephen Shattuck. Thank you again for uh, starting a conversation on another wonderful half-baked marketing idea. Um, oh, it's my pleasure. We'll be back next week. Yeah. And um, Allison, Peter, you guys did a great job holding down the fort in Indianapolis. Um, Hope, thank you for calling in. If you have enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to come back next week or check out our blog at www.rampeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.